big debates, unpopular opinions, and a whole lot more. Oh yeah, it's the Once Around Podcast, baby. Hello and welcome to the Once Around Podcast. I'm Ben, I'm here with Cam and Luke, and today we're going to be reviewing the Bournemouth game and previewing the QPR game, and also talking about just a little financial takeover uh, that may be happening very soon. But first... The Bournemouth game, 1-1. We've got a hat-trick of 1-1s in our recent results. And I feel that was probably the most positive, but also the most disappointing. Cam, how do you feel? I feel overall optimistic. I think it's a difficult place to go. I don't think many teams will go there this season and get many points. And I think the reason why we might feel a little bit pessimistic is because we were very very good for the first 30 40 minutes and we probably should have done better again in the final third which is pretty much the running commentary at the minute we seem to be saying that after every single game but the decision making was not particularly good in the first half when we had positive moments and I keep saying it's blue in the face I think Ed and other people on this podcast keep saying it as well we just need a second goal and we we, we can't get it and I think the second half performance was disappointing in many ways. And that's probably why it feels a bit disappointing in the whole result. Because I think if you ask most Derby fans, they'd have said that they'd have taken a point before the game. But the way the game planned out, <clears throat> excuse me, we um, should have, we should probably have come away with more on the first half performance. But we didn't deserve any more on the second half performance because for whatever reason, we just tried to absorb pressure for 45 minutes. Which when you have the squad that Bournemouth do, especially going forward, you're not going to be able to see that game out. And we didn't. And overall, the result was fair. But it is disappointing because, again, I think I've seen a ridiculous stat that we've led for two hours and 34 minutes in our last three games and we've not won any of them. So that's that just says what it... That, that that just says what it says on the tin. It's we can't close out games, but at the same time, I think we're putting unnecessary pressure on ourselves to be able to close them out because we're not using our initiative and, and taking second and and third goals when we get the opportunity. And the clearance from Cook in the 85th, 86th minute, where he basically dies for the cause quite literally when he pretty much passed out from a Buchanan shot, just pretty much sums up what what we are at the minute going forward. It sums up our luck going forward because I think any other team in the league, he's probably half a yard behind the line and the goal's given. But um, the way our luck's going at the minute going forward, it doesn't result in the second goal and we come away with a point, but the performances are good. We're going to start to run out of that excuse soon because we're coming up to games, as I'm sure we'll get to later, where we really do need to start winning games. And um, that was an opportunity missed again on, on Saturday. Uh, one thing that I thought was questionable was the substitutions we made. Uh, it was Dwayne Holmes on, uh, Louis Sibley on, and also Wisdom on. Luke, were they the right calls to make? Well, I read today that um, Mike had cramp in both calves, so I think that substitution is understandable. But what I didn't quite get was taking Rooney off. To, he was playing playing up front, wasn't he, Rooney? Mm. Bring on Dwayne Holmes to drop him in, drop him out wide, and put Wag on, or just change the whole system around, which didn't quite work, and it could have potentially just messed up the flow, whereas you did a like-like swap, you could have done Rooney for Kazim, or we could have done Rooney for Sibley, 
I think it could have worked a lot smoother and it could have just, everyone could have kept their positions and we could have worked a lot better. But these substitution issues haven't just been this game. It's been the last game. It's been, it was obviously Cardiff against Forest. The substitutions were quite questionable. And our, we have got a, quite a good squad in depth and we're not utilising it to our best. We're kind of just mix and matching our subs and changing the system off through the game, which for me just doesn't work if you're winning. Yeah, no, I, I definitely would have liked to see Cousin Richards introduced because he could have fished us something out of that. But yeah. yeah, I just don't understand why make so a big drastic change a winger for a striker, like a midfielder for a striker when you're one nil up. If you're winning the game, try and keep it the same. I know Rooney's legs would have gone because of match fitness, but doesn't Kaz doesn't Kazman Richards need the minutes to get match fitness? Why is he not coming on? If he's not if he's not match fit. Why is he on the bench? The game was. He's fit enough. Sorry, I was just going to say the game was crying out for Kazim Richards. True to your point, like that. When we absorbed all that pressure, we just did not have an outlet at all. And if you are going to sit back and try and hit a team on the counter, you need to have an outlet. And Wagon was dropping deep down the wing. That that period of about 10, 15 minutes. Actually, it was probably more like twenty minutes before Sibley came on. We just. I don't really know what the front three were doing because it wasn't clear and obvious to me who was leading the line. It looked like Waghorn was deeper than Holmes at times. I don't know where Lawrence was playing and it just had no outlet. So whenever we did manage to win the ball back off Bournemouth, there was nothing to do with it at all other than send a hopeful ball over the top and Tom Lawrence or Dwayne Holmes to run onto it, which wasn't working. It needed an outlet and Kazim was an obvious one on the bench, and I don't. I just, that one just absolutely baffled me. I, I really did not understand that. I get wisdom, like Luke says. If if Tavirik's struggling, you know he's not he's not played a full game of football in five, like three or four weeks. So I, I get that. I don't understand why Kazim Richards was left on the bench. I really don't. Isn't it our like a new system for our front three to interchange? Because you saw against Forest that. Lawrence, Waghorn and Camille constantly changing and I didn't watch Cardiff so I can't comment on that game but against Forest they're constantly moving about they did it against Bournemouth as well Yeah, no, happened against Cardiff yeah. as well uh, I think without Joswiak in that front three it does let it down because he is that legs he is that powerhouse that can actually take on players I'm not saying Lawrence and Waghorn can't I'm just saying out of that front three you would rely on Camille to do that the best and the most successful. Um, and good news is he should be back, not in time for Wednesday, but in time for Saturday. Uh, so that's uh, that's very good to hear. Uh, we're also recording this on Monday night and our under-23s have gone 1-0 up. Luke, who, who scored? Oh, give me a second to find out. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's only a minute in as well, so... Oh, well, um, we're, we're so Chris good. Kamara, absolutely no um, idea. So it's to be confirmed on foot, um, foot mob, so give yeah, me two minutes. Confirmed. What a disaster. Oh, who's here? You didn't know we signed down. As uh, you say, the front, yeah. the front three being interchangeable doesn't work with Wayne Rooney. Absolutely tested watching Wayne Rooney on, on Saturday. <laughs> I really, really did. Because the whole idea of the front three being interchangeable is they have to have energy, they have to have legs, they have to work hard for one another. Rooney just can't do it anymore. I'm not saying he's deliberately not doing it. He just can't. He still has the technical ability and can be that lock in a game where you have all of the ball. We had very little of the ball against Bournemouth. And when you don't have a lot of the ball, 
You need to have players with energy. I would have understood the home for Rooney substitution had Wycorn clearly been our number nine and bossed it through the middle. But for whatever reason, that didn't happen. Rooney just does not work in that system at all. And when Camille comes back, if Rooney somehow still finds a way into that 11 with that system, I will be bitterly disappointed because he just does not have it with the legs anymore. He can be a man that if you're playing at home in a game where you're going to have all of, all of the possession, maybe against a Wickham or maybe even a Barnsley on Saturday, to be fair, that is the type of performance that Wayne Rooney can come in and do a shift. But when you're expected to cover so many yards, he just cannot do it whatsoever. And it's so frustrating to watch. And I'm sure he gets frustrated as well because obviously he used to be able to do it. But it's just, it was like playing with 10 men at times when he was on the pitch after, let's say, the 30th minute. Because the first 30 minutes, we had a lot of the ball, we dictated, we created opportunities. Then when we allowed Bournemouth into it, he, more than anybody, was just a passenger. And it's so frustrating to watch. Uh, One thing that did annoy me quite a lot is for that free kick that eventually resulted in the goal, Rooney was straight back on it. He should have let Waghorn take the shot. because I, I don't know why... He was straight on it. Yes, he's Wayne Rooney, but Martin Waghorn has scored two fantastic free kicks uh, in the past two games. Why can't he score a third? Why didn't he score a third? Is that just because of like the left foot, left side, right side? Rooney can get more bend on it, or Waghorn could get more bend on it because I don't care. Martin Martin should have been on that. I'm just thinking how um, whoever does our set piece stuff um, is thinking. I think Waghorn should have had it. Yeah, thank you. But we scored, so why are you complaining? I don't know. Um, Scored from open play, that's always good. Uh, I wouldn't call that open play. Well, it's not direct from a set piece, (laughs) um, so I'm going to call that open play. Just take what we can get, to be honest. Um, Yeah, so overall, disappointing. But can we right our wrongs against QPR? And actually... Score more than one goal. You asking someone know. that? Are you just? Is that just open ended? Uh, no, I like. I like to leave it open ended. Just going to end it here. No, uh, can we? <laughs> can we actually right the wrongs? And what do we have to do to actually get that dub? I think honestly, it's as simple as we need a second goal. If we get a second goal, I think it calms everybody and it allows us to breathe. And we're just gagging on it so badly. We just, we just need it. We just need that second goal so desperately. And I'm confident, well, I'm not confident. I'll say this. If we don't get score two goals in either of the next two games, I'll be bitterly disappointed because we're coming up against two teams that, yeah, okay, Barnsley have actually scored a couple of goals recently. So have QPR, but they've conceded and shipped goals as well. So if we cannot score multiple goals in these next two games, I'll start to be, I'll start to be asking a little bit because we, we need to. And it's got to a point now where I'm very much optimistic, glass half full. I can't keep saying that performance was good and we're sitting here talking about why we haven't won again. We need to start winning. Our next four home games are crucial. I think we have QPR, Barnsley, Coventry, and I think the other one's Wickham. If it's not Wickham, it's someone roundabout there who we should be picking up points against. Those four games are massive for us. We need a minimum 10 points from those four games, in my opinion. And then we've got a difficult trip to Bristol City and we never play well at Borough in between there as well. This is a big month for us and it's getting to a point now where we're going to start to run out of excuses for the team if if they can't seem to find three points because 
we need the three points right now. I would have said the performances were key in games like Forest and even to an extent in games like Cardiff. But now we're starting to get to a point where the performances don't even really matter. We just have to start winning games. And I think the key to that is to get in a second goal. I don't. Our defence has kept one clean sheet all season. That's not an indictment on, on Marshall, who I think is been a shout for our player of the year so far it's not an indictment too much on the defensive performances in the last three games but we are just asking so much of our defense to constantly keep teams like Bournemouth and Cardiff and teams like QPR and Barnsley who on the face of it you might think yeah we should do them but if you look at their most recent games they're scoring goals I would not be surprised if both QPR and Barnsley score at Pride Park so if they do we need to score more than one to win it's as simple as that Michael Owen so we need to find a way to go ahead and and get more than one goal that's the key. One player who could be key coming back into that is Christian Bielek, who we saw on the bench. Uh, Luke, do you see him coming straight into that team on Wednesday? Well, no. I, well, he's playing today. I, he's playing today. Okay, yeah. I realise that. Do you <laughs> see him coming straight into the team on Saturday then? Provided he doesn't do another ACL today, touch wood. I could see it. What, an ACL? No. (laughs) I don't know where it would fit because I don't think Knight and Shilly deserve to be broken up. I think they're great together. So I feel like like a year nine couple there. Um, I just feel like they're such a good partnership. I can't see him going into the midfield. But then you look at Davis. Does he deserve to be dropped? No. Does Mike deserve to be dropped after this good uh, Bournemouth? Probably not. And then Clark... We dropped early in the season and ship four, so it just proves we need Clark anyway. So I can't see him fitting in, but we do need a player like Bielik. But where do you fit him in the system if our defence don't deserve to be dropped? I th- I think that right-sided is probably the most easily droppable. None of them are easily droppable, but he's the one... That position's the one where you can interchange and still feel confident with Clark and Davies because you've yeah. got that experience and just that quality of player. Um, um, talking of the right side, Mr. Stora put a message in our group chat saying he doesn't like Burn. I'd just <laughs> like him to elaborate on that, if that's okay. Yeah. Cam, explain yourself, mate. Why don't you like Nathan Byrne? <laughs> I've never met him. I don't know if he's... A, uh, he seems a lovely lad. I just think he's uh, defensively overrated and he doesn't offer as much going forward as, as Jaden Bogle. So... Yeah, but didn't we sign him to be a bit more defensive than Jaden Bogle? Yeah, but I, I think his defence is overrated. If you look at the key goals in the games we've conceded away, even the one on Bournemouth, they all come from that side. The Luton goal, which won it, uh, sorry, the first Luton goal comes from that side. For someone that stops all these crosses against Wigan, I haven't seen that for Derby. And he's not, in my opinion, a solid going forward. I'm not saying he's bad. Uh, he's a solid championship right back. I just, I miss Bogle probably is what it is. And and I still miss him because he's not playing for Sheffield. So I have to question the move. But again, it's 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 null and void. I'm, I'm not disappointed in Burn. I'm happy with Burn. He's just... I don't get the massive love for him, but at the same time, I don't. I'm not going to hate on him because he's he's a sound championship fullback. I just think that 
at times he's he's caught out of position. I think we've seen it against Huddersfield. I think we've seen it against Luton. I think we've seen it against Bournemouth, even though that was probably more Buchanan's fault. The cross comes from that side and he's he, not tight enough on it. Could this just be the system we're playing there? Because at Wigan, he was more a right back. He's, at Derby, he's more of a right wing back. So maybe he's in, in his head, he could be going, I don't need to push come back as much or could it be fitness so he can't get up and down for 90 minutes I don't think it's fitness I think it probably is he just needs to adjust to the system but again I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination he's bad I just think he's he's um, I think we've overhyped him as this lord and saviour of our great new signing and I think that is David Marshall if you had to ask me right now I think Marshall is our lord and saviour right now not Nathan Byrne I think we miss attacking pro S down that side like we used to have with Jaden Bogle, in all honesty. But again, it's it's not an indictment on Byrne. I just I just don't get uh, the. I think he's overhyped. Is what is what I would say. Yeah, so we're feeling very very confident going into QPR. Nathan Byrne or not, Cameron, but we, you know, I'm I'm hoping for a win, and it's likely that we'll get a win. And I'd I'd just love to see Phil's face if and when we get that win. Right, there is one big topic that's circulating Derby and has been since Friday. Derby County are being bought by allegedly one of the richest families in the world. Mental. The the fact that they even know where Derby is is funny to me in itself. Um, but... Yeah, this this is this is crazy. I, no one actually knows his uh, actual net worth. The actual bloke buying us, um, but the family's net worth is two hundred twenty-one billion. Is I take his, credit um, for this because it was the one around podcast that put pressure on Mel Morris <laughs> of episodes ago and asked the question, "What's the problem?" And I said, "It's not Philip Koku, It's Mel Morris." Mm. And here we are. Yeah, how exciting. So, so this is why we're the number one podcast. I know we need to be excited about this and it's something to cheer about. But how many times have we been excited about a potential buyer coming to the club just for to just for them to let us down again? I agree I until I saw John Percy tweet. Yeah. That's true. That's the only thing know. that's given me hope. I when I first saw Ryan Conway break this, I think he was the first one, credit to him at the Athletic. He, he wasn't uh, Conway broke it, but he didn't write it. Well, credit to the Athletic or whoever broke it, and I, I was like very, very hesitant to get excited when I first seen it, and then Lord and Savior take two after Davy Marshall, John Percy tweeted about it, so that's that must have some legs to it, or else there is no way that he would tweet about it if it doesn't have some credibility. If it happens, massively exciting. It's a big if though, and I'd love to think it would happen because I would love to see. Steve Gibbs, Gibson explode. Just, I would just love to see that. <laughs> Imagine in the same season <laughs> beating an EFL FFP charge and then getting invested in by one of the richest people on it. <laughs> all my mates have said, I hope, like all my mates around here who none mm. of them are Derby fans have all said, I hope in, it doesn't happen because I would be yeah. unbelievably toxic if Derby became the next Man City. Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah. We already, I, I, we already have so much hate already. It's just going to mm. get bigger and bigger and bigger. I, to be honest, let's have it. I saw on Twitter there was a Man City fan who who yeah. said to all Derby fans, you are about to experience the best time in your club's history. 
just enjoy it. Enjoy the hate, enjoy the abuse, because it's going to feel amazing. And, you know, if we even get half of the sort of credits that Man City have, like I, I've said earlier, an FA it's like Cup... a third of it. Yeah. If we can win away in London, not lose 3-0, <laughs> I will take it. Um, an FA Cup, a League Cup, mid-table finishing in the Premier League. Yeah, I I just um, love that. To do that, we need to score two goals first, so let's ah, one second at a time. Yeah. I can't wait um, for this to fall through and Barry Fry from Peterborough to buy us for like 250k. Yeah. <laughs> and then Viva the Jake Buxton ball. Yeah. <laughs> that that does beg the question though. When? I'm not gonna say if. No, I'm gonna say if. <laughs> not when. If mind up. I will. If the new owners come in, does Philip Koku keep his job? Results aren't looking too good. Do they keep him on at all, Cameron? It's a good question. My answer would be probably no. I would want to keep him on. I th- I can see from the last... I would go as far to say it. I can see from the last five performances. I'd go all the way back to from Norwich to here. There has been steady improvement. And momentum is building. The man has not had a normal month since he's been at the club. It's been one thing after another. And when we do have a little bit of normality, we have we have looked good. That, sh- that stretch from January till about midway through lockdown football, we were probably the best team in the division. So we are certainly capable under him. And I would love to see him take us to the promised land. But if I'm a new buyer coming in right now who's worth billions of pounds and I haven't really watched a lot of Derby County, I just want to buy this club because the infrastructure's there and because I hate the Premier League, then looking at where we are in the league, I would be very worried if I was Koku. And that's another reason, perhaps, why we do have to start winning games imminently and it needs to start on, on Wednesday night and Listen, I absolutely love... This is the f- first time I've proper fell for a, a manager since Lampard, which was a very long time ago now. <laughs> uh, the last two managerial hires have been a pleasure. But there's just something about Koku that he's just been through so much with the club and has always kept his demeanour and his mannerisms, his calmness and his classiness. I would just love it to be him that would that would have this excess of riches to choose from and to spend. But honestly... My answer to that question would be, I would be very surprised if Koku was given long, if any time. S- certainly not beyond January would be my honest answer to that question if this happened. Because that was the that was the issue, wasn't it? That we'd have to pay out a bit too much uh, for Koku to leave. But with all the money, what what's stopping him? What's stopping Mel? Because I assume they keep Mel on to advise about the club and the runnings and whatnot, at least until the transitions fully. You're shaking your head, Luke. Do you not think Mel will be involved in the club? I just don't want him. I just feel like he's ran his cause at the club. I just think it's problem after problem. And it might have been uh, might, might have been a conversation I had with Cameron. And he said, Mel, it seems like Mel Morris cares too much about um, tripping over the EFL and beating the EFL. 
That's instead of what focusing we said on, on the podcast, yeah. Said on the podcast instead of actually caring for Derby, cares more about that. And I feel like if he stays, he would advise him to be uh, kind of like beat around the bush and not do it the proper way and just do it secretly. That make like go about things secretly like he has done, and that's caught up with us and it's left us in this mess. If he's a footballing advisor, I'd be very worried because his managerial decisions pre-Lampard were very questionable. He got rid of people at very questionable times. The hirings he made, the Mac is back. Like it just, there was lots of, lots of very dubious decisions. And the main, my main cause of that Mel rant, if you like, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago was mainly because I started that, whole segment with we have failed since 2014 so why all of a sudden would we expect to succeed and I know it's it's endless amounts of riches but we have spent a hell of a lot of money with Mel Morris in a meaningful position of this club so I would I would love Mel to step aside and I think that would be the better thing for the club who I have absolutely no doubt about he loves Derby County Football Club I just think he loves them too much. And that's the problem. He panics, makes knee-jerk decisions. And I think COVID has been a good thing for Koku because he's not been able to make that knee-jerk decision with Koku because he can't afford to. So I think if this is happening, it needs to almost be a complete buyout. And Mel needs to either step aside or if he is still part of the club to just simply be a member of the board, not to be a shot caller. Because if he is a shot caller, I worry for Koku and I worry for the amount of money we could potentially throw at players like Nick Blackman. Another positive on on top of the already list of positives of having uh, incredibly rich owners is we might actually be able to appoint a director of football, someone who can steer the club in the right direction without worrying about the actual playing side and making motivating the players, but just managing Derby County as a style. Didn't Harry Redknapp do that under Darren Russell? I think he might have done for a few months or so. Not, yeah. not, yeah. Okay, going off your point with that though, let's say right now they say we have to pick a director of football right now. Mm. Who would you say? Th- who would you say is there for us to pick? Liam Rossinia. So you would take him off the coaching stuff. Yeah. Okay then. But who would you now have as a coach? manager? Without Koku, uh, this is this is the, this was Kai's point, which I don't I don't think there's a manager out there. I've seen some ridiculous report that we would maybe look at Arsene Wenger, which is mind-boggling. Oh my god! But like it's Wayne just, Rooney playing under Arsene Wenger. It's just <laughs> I love Wenger by the way, but it's just yeah. ridiculous. Like I don't think if ever you're going to make such a big decision in life, I always think. What's the downside or what is the what's the alternative? And the alternative to Philip Cocky right now, there isn't really a whole lot of greatness, apart from maybe Eddie Howe, who did really well to get Bournemouth with no money to the Premier League. Then when they had money, he was terrible. So is him coming into a situation where he has money a, a good thing? Don't necessarily think it is. So, you know, it's it's a difficult one. It's very exciting, but I think changes would have to happen if if it did happen. So, um, yet again, never a dull day at Derby County Football Club. 
the only thing that worries me about all these changes is we're going through this a transition period, which we always seem to go through every year. But these transition periods are just about being patient and restarting. Like with the Koku, it's the academy plan. If we get these new owners, what if they don't want the academy plan? And we're going to have to go back and start again fresh. And I just can't. I'm excited for it. But if we want to make all these changes, we're going back to square one and we're starting again from this transition. And it'll be 2021 transition period again instead of 1920 transition period, 2021 build on it, 21 22 to go in it's now transition 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 which do you want to sit through more transition periods uh, is the question yeah that's well there we go sorry uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh good good discussion there lads uh one final thing before we do round it out can i have your qpr predictions please luke Oh, first, um, I've not seen QPR play this year. I don't know what they're like. And who's their manager? Is it still Warburton? Yeah, a nod of head of approval. Um, oh, I'd probably say 2-1 Derby. Positive. Yeah. I like that. Scores? Um, Kazim Richards. <laughs> And the oh, look off camera. <laughs> and um, I'm going to go for Curtis Davis. Oh, love that. Cameron. Would love to see the odds on that. Uh, I think QPR ship a lot of goals, but I think they score a fair few as well, going off of recent results. I want to think this is where we start a run like we did post-January I want to believe that because we have very winnable games coming up even the likes of Bristol City Norwich won at Bristol City even though Chris Martin will probably score a hat-trick we can score four no Bristol City are like are are doable as well so we have a a spell of six games coming up and I want this to start it so I'm going to be positive as well and I'm going to go with 3-1 Derby and I think Martin Waghorn will score again. I think Tom Lawrence will open his account for the season. And I also think Jason Knight will open his account for the season. I had to think then whether he had scored yet or not. Um, Because I just think that if we continue to have the pace we had in the first 30 minutes with Bournemouth and just somehow get a second goal, I think we, we will all breathe a sigh of relief and we'll be more at ease. So hopefully I'm right. Uh, I have no idea who plays for QPR, but one of their players will not score. As a, not as a. <laughs> one of their um, players will score. It'll be Knight's first league goal. I believe he did score against Preston in the EFL Cup. No, he scored against um, Charlton, Barnsley, one of the red teams at Pride Park last year. He got kicked in the face, remember, on the goal line. Charlton. Charlton. Yeah. I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he did score in the EFL Cup against Preston. I might be wrong, but I'm at least 80% What am I talking certain. about? I thought you meant first league goal ever. I was, that's why I was arguing that. Oh, God, I thought you no. mean this season. Right, okay. Uh, no, season. yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I, think you'll, I think you'll bag for us. Can we have a word, by the way? I know this is the end of the podcast. We never mentioned how great Graham Shinney was against oh, Graham Bournemouth. Graham Shinney. I love him. He was I love him. magnificent Clap. against Bournemouth. 
thoroughly he's, deserved. He's the most underrated, hardworking player at the club. I've and said, he hasn't got a yellow card the past two games. I've said many podcasts ago that Jason Knight, Jason Knight, Graham Shinney is a good player and he just does the dirty work the best and it's, it's now showing. So. Him and Knight are such a good duo, which is why I'm so worried at what's going to happen to Rooney when Camille comes back. If Rooney replaces one of them two in the middle for Camille Josviak, I'm going to have a massive question mark on Philip Koku. I'm sorry. Like, seriously, I am, because that just does not make sense. Knight and Shinny work so well together. Shinny provides defensively where Knight lacks, and Knight provides offensively where Shinny lacks. They're just so perfectly in tandem, and they'll be so, so angry if they get split up through anything other than a suspension or an injury. Yeah. yeah. As for me, I think it's going to be an exciting, high-scoring game, 4-2 to Derby County. Uh, probably go two two goals down and then come back for uh, Knight with two, Waggon and Kazim Richards. Why not? I'd, I'd love to see him get on the score sheet. Uh, yeah, so thank you very much for listening to the Once Around podcast. I've been Ben. I've been joined with Luke and Cameron. And we'll see you soon. Up the Rams. Thank you.